0: come to a section I've called encouraging promises. It's always good to hear encouragement, it's always good to hear promises that are giving or given to us. Obviously in our text we have seen that the Lord Jesus Christ is going back to the Father. That's important because he enjoyed the presence of the Father before all the world was here. Before the creation of the world We find out, and we will study that in John chapter 17 when we get there. We find out that he enjoyed the glory with the Father before the world was. And yet, out of his love, as we have just seen, he came into the world. Well, there's a lot of babies that come into the world. There's a lot of children. All of you were born at a point in time. But none of us have had an impact on this world like the Lord Jesus Christ has. That one birth that took place has had such an impact that men today, even who don't believe on him, curse with his name. Others, why don't they curse with anybody else? Because of the significance of this one that came into the world. Our calendars are affected by it. Our lives are impacted by it. And why? Because God left his glory and came to earth. But he came to earth, and while fully God, fully man, he came for the purpose of giving life. And now when he's with his disciples, specifically his apostles in the upper room where we have been studying, he's telling them he's going back. He's going back to where he came from. With you and I, we weren't here before our birth. That had everything to do with our parents. But in his case, he was with the father, left that, came to earth, and that's the significance of Christmas. That's the significance of Easter, as we call it, the resurrection, which we're working towards soon in the spring. We can't wait for it. But we see those things. It's very significant because this person came in that he might save, that he might give life, that he might save all men, those that were lost, those that have sinned. And now he's going back to the Father. His purpose for which he came is about to be fulfilled. Before Him is the death, it's Calvary. Before Him is the cursing of men. Before Him is the rejection of men. Before Him is the scourging. And before Him is the burial in the tomb. However, also before Him is the resurrection. And also before Him is returning to the Father. And He's been explaining that to His disciples, that He's going away. However, He's already encouraged His disciples in telling them that they, while he is going, he spent time with them, while he's going back, they will be the instruments through which he will reach the world. Amazing. Absolutely outstanding when you think about it. Our world thinks in terms of mobs, of large numbers. And unfortunately, even the church of Jesus Christ, that is the emphasis whether they want to say it or not. It's large numbers. Jesus Christ spent three years teaching men, and he's only going to leave 11 of them. Now, yes, there are other disciples who came to trust in him. But primarily, 11 individuals because of the, tra- the traitor, Judas Iscariot, and he'll be replaced, so there'll be 12. But basically, the 11 that he's talking with, he's going to leave, and through them, as we just read in Ephesians, they will become, and I'll talk about this in just a moment again, the foundation for the church, and their teachings, in their instruction. They are going to be used greatly by God. And as we have already seen, it is absolutely amazing because by extension, you and I are the likes of which the world does not like. The world thinks we're kind of weird. The world doesn't like what we have to say. And he's going to use the likes of us as instruments to reach the world as he goes back to the Father. How's he going to do that? Well, that was last week's message. We saw he's going to let the world see us. And they should be seeing the unity, there it is again, of the body of Christ, the unity with him, and the unity with one another. And they should see it in our love, one for another, and how we treat one another. And we also saw that another way that that will be obvious is by our obedience to the commands of God. People don't want to hear that part of it. We're talking during the coffee time, and uh, a couple of parents were talking about the will of God, instructions and so forth. And the children, and it is true, we often think of the will of God as something for our future when it's really present. That's what we talked about the few minutes that I had with them. It's, it's the present. And, and obeying for children is what God has for you right now. Loving your spouse is what they have for you, men. Submission, submission to your husband, not common in the world today or spoken about. But obedience to the commands of God Loving your neighbor, putting others first. That's how the world will know. Now he turns their attention to some very encouraging promises. And I want you to notice, first of all, in our context, they are aimed specifically at the apostles, but they are a help to us as well, obviously. But he's aiming them specifically at his apostles because they're concerned about his leaving. So what are the promises that he gives them? Well, let's try to deal with the first two anyway. The first one is the promise of the Holy Spirit as their teacher. Verses 25 and 26. Look at it. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. He has spent the time teaching them. He has spent the time ministering to them. He has spent the time so they have witnessed his miracles. They have seen the evidence of the hand of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, continuously, and he's been with them spending time. We'll talk more about that abiding term when we get to chapter 15. But then he says, but, in contrast to this, he's leaving, but the Helper, that is the Holy Spirit specifically, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you, watch, all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is primarily directed at the apostles. I will give the application to us at the end of this section here right now. But first of all, notice that Jesus says he will soon be leaving them. However, the Father will send, notice this, in the name of Jesus Christ. That's kind of like we learned about prayer, praying, praying in the name of Christ. Okay, it is because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, because of his work, and because of his desire. Remember, he asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit. And because he and the Father work together, he is coming in his name. And it's also interesting because isn't it wonderful that as the Lord Jesus Christ is leaving, who's he concerned about? Is he concerned about the cross? No. He's concerned about those that he's leaving behind, who we learned last week. He's not going to leave us orphans. He's not going to leave them orphans. And he's still looking out for them, even in this situation. Because he knows that they are going to need the Holy Spirit. So, rather than even focus on the cross, which he's got to go to, he's focusing on their needs. So, the the Father will send the Holy Spirit, and notice that he is the source. He is the power. That is where the Holy Spirit is coming from. And as we have seen, the word that's used here in my English translation of verse 26 is called the helper, he is called the paraclete. And it's used just a couple of places here. You notice in verse 16 it's already been used. Look back there in your Bible. Chapter 14, verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And we talked about it's another one just like Jesus Christ. We see it in chapter uh, 15, again we're going to see it, verse 26. Just look there for a second, just two more verses, just in John. John 15, verse 26, when the helper, there it is again, the paraclete comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, That is the spirit of truth, grab that one, who proceeds from the Father. Where's the Father? He's in heaven. People think of God as being in heaven. That's where the Holy Spirit came from. He will testify about me. His interest is to testify about Jesus Christ to point to the fact of who he is and what he is taught, as we see in chapter 16 now, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, Jesus Christ says. It is to your advantage. We didn't see it that way. His disciples didn't see it that way. But it's to your advantage that I go away. Why? For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So it's all centered around, as we go back to chapter 14 in our text, the Helper, the Paraclete. He's one that comes alongside of, he's there to help and assist. Not only the apostles, but also the New Testament believer. He's not only that, but we've learned that this paraclete is the divine helper. He's another one like Jesus Christ. He's another one like the Father. He's of the same essence. That's why you have God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Impossible for the human mind to fully grasp and fully comprehend. But it's true. There is only one God. But the offices are such that we have the Father, the Son came to do the work in Calvary, the Spirit of God comes to do His work, and we'll talk about that in this text in just a second. So He would come alongside them, He would be from the Father, He was divine help, and we noticed last week and the week before, if you look at verse 17 again quickly in chapter 14, that at the end of the verse it says, He abides with you and He will be in you. The Spirit of God was sent from the Father to be also indwelling, to be inside of, to be in, if you will, believers. Believers. So Jesus Christ encourages them by saying to his disciples, yes, I'm going away, don't worry, the Holy Spirit is coming. And why? He says why. He says he's not only going to be a helper, but he says he's going to teach them. He is going to be a teacher. The Holy Spirit is coming. He is going to teach. Now, remember, I told you to hold on to in chapter 15. And if you I remember from chapter 14, look at verse 17. He's called the Spirit of Truth. That's important. Why? Because he will always guide according to truth. What truth? Divine truth. The 21st century, in case you are not aware of the world that you are living in, is basically saying there is no set truth. Everything is gray. You believe what you want, I believe what I want, and we're fine. There is no set of dogma. That is foolishness. You couldn't live by that, by the way, if you really thought that were true. Because if that's the case, we ought to just all get guns and do whatever we want with it. Of course there's truth. We even see that in society. It's absolutely necessary. If you don't think it's important that there is some set of even truth to live by, well, then go home and start to drink poison. See if there's a difference between what is real and not real, and what is a poison and what is not poison. Now, those are foolish illustrations. But when it comes down to truth, there is also divine truth. And the Spirit of God is going to treat the truth of the Word of God as that which is essential. It is the Word of God that's truth, and he will always teach according to truth because he is the Spirit of truth. He will never teach error. And I say that for the sake of Christians as well. Don't ever say that the Spirit of God led me to do something contrary to the Word of God. And Christians are saying that all the time. If you say that, you have the freedom to do that, but it is not true, because the Spirit of God never leads contrary to what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would do, or is consistent with divine truth. But there's a very significant thing in this passage that we don't overlook, which is why I said the emphasis is to the apostles first. Many people don't look at it that way, but verse 26 is a very significant verse because it authorizes the inspiration of the Word of God. Did you hear that? Verse 26 is the authorization of the inspiration of the Word of God. Those are big words. I'll explain them. Notice, it says, the help of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you. What? Not some things, but all things. Notice this. And will bring to your remembrance not some things, but all that I have said to you. That is very significant. He's talking about the Bible. It is essential that we understand that. That he is talking about that when the Spirit of God comes, he is going to guide his apostles. He is going to guide his disciples in all things and in all truths. That's what he says. He will teach them all things. He will bring to remembrance all things that Jesus said. Two essential responsibilities, not the only ones, but two essential ones of this helper of the Holy Spirit. This question comes up all the time. Listen, how do I know that the Bible is the word of God? You may be sitting there asking that very question right now. The Bible, we're told, is the word of God. Well, how can I know that? Men wrote it, didn't they? Stay with me. I read an article this week that referred to, some of you probably read it as well. It had to do with uh, Answers in Genesis, and it had to do, if you're not aware of it, they are in the process of planning and constructing Noah's, a replica of Noah's Ark, and I think it's Kentucky where it's going to be, but they're going to construct this and so forth. And they've had all kinds of blogs and all kinds of, as you can imagine, things come to them on Facebook and so forth. And it was one of them caught my eye particularly because it had to do with first of all what they are doing and then it went right back to the scriptures or the bible that we're talking about today. And this person charged that they were very strongly against it because they view it viewed it as subjecting children to harassment And intellectual child abuse. That's the truth. That they were objecting to this because anyone that would say that the Bible was the Word of God and to allow them to construct Noah, which was only a story, and then to say that it was truth, was harassment and intellectual, uh, basically intellectual abuse of children. And they were serious. And that's the society you're living in today. Now, I find that interesting that they're saying the Word of God to teach that. Now, they can teach you, one. you can teach evolution, but if you teach creation, you're the one that's abusing. That's interesting. Kind of a double standard. And they reasoned, by the way, that they said in fairness to the article was because they said there's absolutely no scientific proof for it. Well, what about this Bible now? Let's get back to that. That's significant to our text. How is it that the Bible then is the Word of God, or how can we know that it is the Word of God? Let's be realistic here. There are some problems right away, are there not? Yes, there are. Why? The Apostle, number one, let me just give you two this morning. The Apostles we have already seen in studying John did not, listen, did not understand much of what Jesus taught them. Remember that. They didn't even understand much of what Jesus Christ was teaching them. How do you know that? Let me just highlight a couple of things we've learned. Go back with me to chapter 2. I'll just stay in John. John chapter 2. Let's look at it. I want you to see why I believe these verses are so significant. In John chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took forty and six years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? He was not speaking of the temple, but of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, watch this. His disciples, when? After he was raised from the dead, remembered that he said this. They believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. They believed the word of God. They believed the scripture. But while he was teaching it, they didn't understand. They didn't get it. Go with me to chapter 12. We've seen this. Same book. Chapter 12. Verses 12 through 16. On the next day, the large crowd who came to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, this is what we call Palm Sunday, took up branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus finding a young donkey sat on it. As it is written, that's the Bible, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Verse 16, these things the disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and they, and that they had done these things to him. They didn't understand it while he was walking with him. Later on they did, but they didn't at that time. Look at chapter 16. Just one more passage. Chapter 16 of John verses 12 and 13 Watch I have many more things to say to you Jesus said to them but you cannot bear them now but when he that is the spirit of truth there it is again comes he will guide you into watch all the truth why for he will not speak of his own initiative but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. That's significant. That what he's saying here to his disciples is in chapter 14, the Holy Spirit's going to teach them and we need to remember that they had trouble even understanding what Jesus was talking about. Secondly, the other problem is this. Do you ever think about this? How could men possibly... Now, I'll give you the answers to this, by the way, but how could men possibly remember what Jesus said in its entirety years later? I mean, these men wrote years after Jesus had been resurrected. If you take John, for example, John was approximately 90 years old. I got a problem with that. At my age, I have trouble remembering names. You talked to me about yesterday, I guarantee I forgot some things. In fact, I probably forgot some things that some of you said, Pastor Dan, would you remember this today? I probably forgot it already. Our memory is short. How in the world... See, so number one, they had trouble understanding what Jesus was saying. That's number one. Number two, they also had trouble in that they were human beings. And they were not going to write the Word of God until many years later. How in the world are they possibly going to remember all these things? And can we rely on the Word of God? This text helps us with the answer. The answer is, number one, here are the answers. They are not relying on their own memory. They are relying on the Holy Spirit to remind them. Look at verse 26. He will teach you all things, and it is He that will bring to your remembrance. They are not relying on human memory. They are relying on the power of the Spirit of God. Secondly, it is the Holy Spirit, first part of that, that will teach them. It is not themselves. It is not their diligence. It is not their human intelligence. It is the Spirit of God that will teach them. It is the Spirit of God's memory, if you will, that will remind them of everything that Jesus Christ wanted them to know and to record. It's put this way to make it practical in Scripture. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. How did we get the Bible? How do we get our New Testament to be specific? By the way, you might be shocked by this, but did men write it? Yes, they did. You don't need to be afraid of that at all. Of course they did. Can you imagine God being in heaven for just a moment and saying, I know why mankind is here. I know what I want mankind to do. (laughs) I'm never going to tell them. I hope they figure it out for themselves. Would you do that to your children? I hope not. Imagine bringing children into the world and they come into the world, well, I hope they learn what's poison, what's not poison. I hope they know that they don't run out in front of a car. Let them learn for themselves. You know, I hope they get it. Uh, I don't know whether they know that they need clothes or not. Let them figure it out. I don't know whether they need to know whether they eat. That, that wouldn't be a good parent. Why in the world would we think God would do that with us? Wouldn't a loving God, if he knew what he wanted for us, communicate to man who he created what he wants? Well, yes, he would. Well, how would he do that? How do we communicate? It's called language. But we can't understand the things of God. Right. So what he's going to do is the Spirit of God, who is God, is going to take the things of God, and he is going to carry men along so that when they record it, we get God's message so that we know what he wants? Really? Yeah, look at Second Peter chapter one. Look at verses 20 and 21. We know what? But know this: first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, and by the way, that is not the best wording. The, the, the word there is loosing. It's of no private loosing. It didn't happen or originate with man. That's the concept behind this passage. We often think, and I've had people say this to me, well, one person interprets the Bible one way, one person interprets the other way. You know, it's private interpretation. But then I guess we get the warning, it's not private interpretation. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying, it didn't originate with man. Why? He explains it in verse 21. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. That's not how the Bible came together. Well, then how did it come? Men were moved, that's what we're learning about in John, by the Holy Spirit. Say that? But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The Holy Spirit was what God was promising through Jesus Christ to come and to guide and to cause remembrance. So that what did he do? He basically carried them along. That's what he did. Men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It didn't come by human effort. When it says he was moved by, he was carried along just like the wind would carry something along. The Holy Spirit carried these men along. They were under the power of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to one of the passages, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Very significant. If we're going to turn to the Bible, can we rely on it? You bet. better believe we can. And I know believers know these passages well. But while we quote them, do we understand them? Verse 16. What's the first word? How much? Everything? I find this interesting, by the way. Well, maybe all doesn't mean all here. Really? It hit better. Because if it doesn't mean all, we're in trouble. All. What? Scripture. How much of it? Every single bit of it is inspired by whom? Paul? No. Peter? No. Matthew? No. Mark? No. Luke? No. John? No. What's the matter with you, Pastor Dan? It's not inspired by man. There was never a situation where we have poets today who sit under trees and come up with marvelous poetry. While we have a teacher in our school that comes up with poetry, I'm I'm amazed at some of the things that he does with that. He does a great job. And they're, they're, in a sense, really interesting, but they're really not inspiring as we're talking about here. What this is talking about is this didn't originate by man sitting under a tree saying, I think I'll write a poem about a tree. It doesn't happen that way. God, it says, all Scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired by God. That's what it meant. It came from God. Now watch. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, For training in righteousness, why? His why, verse 17. So the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. The word of God was given to us this way. It originated from God. God the Holy Spirit took the things of God and he recalled it to the mind of men, so they recorded it. Yes, man recorded it down and he wrote it, but it didn't originate with that man. Men were not inspired. Don't understand it that way. We hear that all the time from Christians. Peter was inspired. No, he wasn't. The Holy Spirit took the Word of God. It's the Word of God that's inspired, not the man that's inspired. The Word of God was inspired, and the Holy Spirit carried him along by recalling to his remembrance. And in our passage, it's very significant, because Jesus is saying to them, "When I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come along, and you're not going to have to rely on your memory." You're not going to have to rely on trying to recall what I taught you because the Holy Spirit is going to take the things of God and he will work in your mind, John, even at the age of 90, so that exactly what God's message is will get recorded. Can you sitting in that pew rely on this book that's an ancient book that was written thousands of years ago to be the word of God? Absolutely. I could spend five more messages just dealing with the the things that we have and the evidences such as, Prophecy, such as archaeological discoveries, and all of that. But the bottom line is: this is why, because it came from God. And God used men, and He recalled to their mind. What about us? So the teachers promised to them. The Holy Spirit is also our teacher. There is an application here. Turn with me quickly to First John, First John chapter two. Now, I know most of you know my background, some of you don't, but I'm going to tell you a little bit and the reason why in just a second. In 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 20, first of all. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. That anointing is the Holy Spirit. And you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Now look at verse 27. As for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. That anointing is the Holy Spirit. He abides in you. Now notice this. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie and just as It has taught you, you abide in him. What is that saying? That is saying that the Holy Spirit is also the one that's our teacher. He's the one given to us. This does not mean that you don't need teachers, by the way. Well, it says that the Holy Spirit's going to teach me. Yes, that is your guide. Listen carefully to what I say. You have no reason, especially if you're a visitor today, and I don't know if we have any visitors, but if you're visiting here today, you have no reason whatsoever to believe anything that I say. In fact, you should not. You should check it out with the Word of God. Check it out for yourselves. Know the truth. Too many men are leading people astray, men and women, and are teaching false doctrine, and people are following it. You need to know the truth. What is the guideline? The Spirit of God will in your heart let you know that yes, that's right, or no, that's not right. And it's so important that we realize that we have the Spirit of God to teach us and instruct us in truth. God's given pastors and teachers, God's given the gift of teaching. We see that in Corinthians. So he's not eliminating that because God has given gifted people to teach and instruct the Word of God as they study the Word of God and the Spirit of God works in them. But ultimately, the Spirit of God is our guide. Now, because time is going so quick, let me just put it to you this way. He does not give the believer new revelation. He gives us illumination. With the apostles, they were promised revelation. That is, that which came from God. That's why in our responsive reading in Ephesians, and I hope you're still with me, in Ephesians it says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That is the word of God. Why is that the foundation? Because that was directly from God, guided by the Holy Spirit. And the apostles were used for those writings. But according to, and you can mark it down, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9-13, through 13, we are told that it is the Spirit of God who understands the things of God, and He takes the things of God and is able to explain them to men. Even the very words and the very thoughts. I used in that passage to make it uh, clear to us. So what he did for the apostles was inspire them so that they could record what God's message was. What he does for the believer today is he still teaches us and instructs us by clarifying, illuminating, helping us to understand that which is written. That's one of the promises. The promises of the coming Holy Spirit. I think I'm going to have to stop here for today. Um, I'm just getting wound up. For those of you that know me, you know that's true. Um, my, my heart is just eaten away because I have about 45 minutes that I want to fire at you. And I'm not going to do it. Because the next portion is important. Listen to this. And go away with this. Maybe you'll come back next week for it. Very important promise coming up. Jesus Christ says, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives. We're going to talk about that next week. I can't do justice to it in five minutes. But what you've got here is a situation, and I'll talk about the difference between the peace of God and how you can have that. There's a lot, of peace, a lot of people that are searching for peace. As you know, look at what's going on in Egypt right now. There's talk about peace and so forth, but you know what? If I were to look into the heart of every single one of you, and I can't do that, really what man wants is peace in here. He can do a lot of things on the outside and get peace with certain things, but that's what he's really looking for. You're going to see that that can only come from God, and we'll talk about that next week. But then you're going to see the type of peace that Jesus Christ gives to them. It's a peace that this world will never, ever be able to give to you. So come on back, and we'll talk about the peace of God, because that's a promise. Jesus Christ was leaving, and he first promised them, you know what, I'm going to use you to record the word of God. Don't you worry about a thing? Because the Holy Spirit's going to help you to do that. And he will guide you and call to your remembrance. And then he's going to say, and I am going to give you a peace. Listen to this. You've heard it expressed before. We'll talk about it next week. I am going to give you a peace that the world cannot understand. It surpasses all understanding. And I'm going to give you that when I leave. And it's also available to every single believer when you've come to trust in christ a peace that the world will never know but every believer has the joy of knowing let's close in prayer our father in god i thank you today for the reminder of the cross of calvary with every aspect of it our singing our responsive reading pointed to it the communion service Father, your scriptures make it very clear that all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're not looking for man and woman to expose their sin, but we know in our hearts that we fall short. We all violate the laws of God every day. And because of that, we need salvation. We know that man tries his best. He tries religion. He tries to be good. And Father, we never know whether we do enough. We always seem to fail. But then, Father, we see that your scriptures, who you told us this morning you have secured by the Holy Spirit guiding and recalling to the remembrance to the apostles the things that you have said in detail, all of them, so they could be recorded. And you've recorded for us that you loved us so much that while we can't save ourselves, you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That salvation from sin could only be found not in a religion, not in a church, but in you, in your person, in your son, and the work that he accomplished at Calvary and in his resurrection. And I pray that if there be any here this morning that have not yet come to trust in Christ, that they might trust in him today. Come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and have the gift of eternal life. Father, for those of us who know you, we thank you and praise you that by your sovereign grace, you chose to have recorded the word of God that we could have it, that there is truth and that the spirit of truth guided the apostles and the prophets in recording the word of God so that we could have it and understand what you want. And we thank you and praise you that you've given the Holy Spirit to believers to be our teacher and our guide and our cross-check on what is truth. We thank you for that. And I pray, Father, you'd help us to walk in the truth. Help us to walk worthy of the vocation to which we've been called. Help us to truly reflect, reflect the unity of God in our lives. Guide us now throughout the remainder of the day. Use us for your honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.